In our journey through this examination of the cross, we finished about half of it so far. And the cross, of course, is the most central idea and the image of our faith. And so far, we've learned that, first of all, the cross must be central to our lives and to our church. The cross reveals some things about, special things about God, namely God's glory and God's justice and God's love. We discovered that the experience of the cross was something that Jesus feared. Not necessarily the physical torture as bad as it was, but more the idea of being separated from the Father. We discovered that the cross of Christ was necessary for us to obtain God's forgiveness and that the cross provided for us atonement for our sins. Jesus paid the debt, in other words, for our sins and our failures to live up to God's standard. But like I said, we were only about halfway through this study, and there's actually so much more that can be said about the cross and how it affects our lives. Today I want to talk about a very specific aspect of the cross that I hope will be meaningful to you, and it is that the cross of Christ was sacrificial. When we talk about the cross, we're not just talking about the piece of wood, but we're talking about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, by or via the cross. And, and today we're going to talk about it being sacrificial. And you might think, well, Pastor, you just mentioned that uh, you sort of covered that, didn't you? I mean, last week you said that the cross was the atonement, that he paid the debt for our sins. And, and yes, I did mention that. But there is a difference at least in degree, between paying a debt for something and a sacrifice. If you came up to me and said, hey man, I, I've got some, I got some debt, and I, I was wondering if you could help me out. Well, if I was especially uh, generous and, and lighthearted that day, I might say, sure, how can I help? And uh, maybe you would say to me, $20 would pay off my creditors. And I'd say, you know what, I could probably Venmo you that real easy. I could Venmo you 20 bucks. And for those of you who don't know what Venmo is, I could reach in my wallet and give you a $20 bill. Um, but in such an instance, the sacrifice actually required of me, it really wouldn't be that much at all. I might not even miss that $20. I don't know. But let's say you said to me, when I asked you uh, what you owed, you said, well, what I owe is my life. My creditor requires a human life. Do you think you could help me out? I would likely respond to you, no, I cannot. But I'll be praying for you from a distance. Please step away in case the bullets start flying towards you. I prefer not to be collateral damage. Thank you very much. You see, there is a difference, at least in degree, between paying a debt and giving a sacrifice, especially if the sacrifice is actual, a human sacrifice. Now, if... The payment of one's debt requires an actual, an actual human sacrifice. Well, we've got some good news. Jesus accomplished that when he died on the cross. He paid your debt by becoming a sacrifice 
himself. Now, we all know what a sacrifice is, and so at this point of the sermon, I'm supposed to give you a riveting example that will capture your attention and keep it wrapped. I can talk about a baseball player hitting a sacrifice fly into the outfield and allowing the uh, runner to score. I can talk about a baseball player laying down a sacrifice bunt for the betterment of his team. Or maybe I could talk about, oh, let's say, giving up chocolate for Lent. You know, that would be a big sacrifice for some of us. But then again, we're Baptists and we might not even know what Lent is. So, um, or, or I can tell you about Eddie Ikau, a native Hawaiian who learned to surf the waves before it became a professional sport. Eddie became the first lifeguard to work the dangerous Waimea Bay on the north shore of Oahu. And even though it meant braving ocean waves that sometimes topped 30 feet in height or more, um, not one life was lost when he was a lifeguard on duty. In fact, he personally saved over 500 swimmers' lives. Now, in 1978, he was part of a uh, crew on a boat seeking to recreate the ancient route of Polynesian migration between the Hawaiian and Tahitian island chains. And that, so this crew tried to make the 2,500-mile journey across the Pacific in the same type of double-hulled canoe the ancients once used. Problem was, it quickly developed one of the, a leak in one of the hulls and it finally capsized 12 miles off of the Hawaiian island of Molokai. And now everyone was alive, everyone had life jackets, and were, they were hanging on to the capsized double-hulled canoe. But no one on shore knew where they were. They had no radio. And so Eddie decided that he would go get help. He discarded his life jacket because it hindered him from paddling his surfboard, which he did bring. And so he began the journey, paddling many miles toward the nearest island. He never arrived. Eventually, the Coast Guard rescued the crew, but in spite of the largest air sea search in Hawaiian history, Eddie Aikau would never be found. Later, a few years later, a surfing tournament was planned in his honor, but when the day arrived, the waves were so huge and the conditions were so dangerous that the contest organizers decided, or discussed actually, whether to even put the contest on. Finally, one professional surfer spoke up and said, Eddie would go. To this day, that's how Eddie Aikau is remembered in Hawaii. As a lifeguard, when no one else would dare to brave the uh, dare to brave the waves to pull people out of the water, Eddie would go. As a crew member, when it seemed that no rescuers were coming, Eddie would go. When what was required was someone being willing to lay down his life, Eddie would go. And so I could tell you about baseball or Lent or Eddie Icow as a sacrifice. Um, but I want to go in a different direction because you already really know what a sacrifice is. You get it. So I want to share with you something today that uh, perhaps you don't know, or at least you, maybe you haven't thought of it in these terms. And it's actually something from Scripture. You know, 1,400 years before Christ, 
before he became a sacrifice on our behalf, a, a different kind of sacrifice was established by God. And this happened during the time of Moses. And as you probably know, in the book of Exodus, Moses commanded, or excuse me, the Lord commanded Moses to lead his people out of slavery. And, and the Lord enabled Moses to carry out and accomplish this seemingly impossible task through the use of miracles and a number of different ways. And the people of Israel eventually left Egypt. And if you follow the Hollywood version, Charles Heston led them through the Red Sea on dry land. And they made it to the other side. And they made their way all the way to Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, that's where God came down. He comes down to Mount Sinai and the people are expecting this. And they were told before they left Egypt, come, God is waiting for us at Mount Sinai. He's got something to tell us. And so on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. And there was a, a, a thick cloud on the mountain and, and a very loud trumpet blast. And all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke from it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. Then Moses came and he told all the people all of the words of the Lord and all of his laws. And all of the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then Moses wrote down all of the words of the Lord. Then, in Exodus 24, Moses set up an altar. And they began sacrificing bulls as offerings to the Lord. And without getting too graphic, they would take bulls and they would hold the bulls by the head and take a knife, slit open their necks and let the blood pour out. And Exodus 24 says that Moses took half of the blood and he set it in large basins. And the other half of the blood, he splattered on the altar. He covered the altar with the blood of the sacrifice. Then Moses read the covenant scroll that he had written down with all of the Lord's laws. And Moses secured from the people a promise of obedience. The people again responded, we will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses went to the basins and he took the blood that he had placed in the basins and he splattered it on the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Okay. 
Do you get the idea? God made a covenant with Israel. The covenant, it was a contract. It was an agreement. A set of terms was established. However you want to think of it, this was an agreement between two parties. And this covenant was connected to a sacrifice. The sacrifice of the bulls. However, in Exodus 24, there's something missing. There's something missing in the covenant that God made with Israel and the sacrifice connected to it. There's an element that is never mentioned. Not once at all. The missing piece is forgiveness. I'm going to read this passage verbatim. I want you to listen for any mention of the forgiveness of sins. Exodus 24, verse 4, we read, And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. Then he sent out young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and set it in basins. The other half of the blood he splattered on the altar. Then he took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, we will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. Moses took the blood, splattered it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. You know, in this passage, we have a covenant between God and Israel. We have a sacrifice connected to the covenant, but there is no mention of forgiveness. In fact, in the entire book of Exodus, Forgiveness is only mentioned five times. But never is forgiveness directly connected to the covenant that God made with Israel through Moses. I'll show you. In Exodus chapter 10, Pharaoh asked Moses for forgiveness. In Exodus 23, the previous chapter, God tells Israel that he's going to give them an angel. The angel will lead them. But if they defy his angel, the angel will not forgive their sins. This is not an offer of forgiveness. This is an explicit command that they will not be forgiven. And God says, in fact, this angel will have the name of the Lord in him. Later, after this covenant is made, Israel makes a god out of gold. And then they bow down and they worship this god with a little g out of gold. This was a direct, willful violation of God's command. And so in Exodus 32, Moses prayed that the Lord would forgive Israel for making a golden god to worship. That's the third mention of forgiveness. Listen to the Lord's response to Moses' prayer for forgiveness. The Lord said, Whoever has sinned against me, 
I will erase from my book. Now go. Lead the people to the place I told you about. See, my angel will go before you. But on the day I settle accounts, I will hold them accountable for their sin. In Exodus 34, the Lord himself proclaimed these words about himself. He said, The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. So here we have it, right from the mouth of God, that the very nature of God is one of forgiveness. He is a forgiving God. In the next verse, God says, But He will not leave the guilty unpunished bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Even in this passage, where the Lord talks about his forgiving nature, the covenant that God made with Moses and the sacrifice of bulls connected to it, it is not what forgives their sins. I mean, to be sure, God is a forgiving God, But does the covenant between God and Moses achieve forgiveness? No, it doesn't. For in the very next verse, Moses pleads with God for forgiveness again. We read, Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshipped. Then he said, My Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord... Please go with us, even though this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. Here God is receiving a prayer from Moses for forgiveness. And listen to the Lord's response to Moses. Listen to this response for this request for forgiveness, how the Lord responds. And the Lord responded in Exodus 34, verse 10. Look. I am making a covenant. In the presence of all your people, I will perform wonders that have never been done in the whole earth or in any nation. All the people you live among will see the Lord's work. For what I am doing with you is awe-inspiring. That was God's response. Moses says, please forgive us. And God says, I'm making a covenant and it's a big deal. You get the picture. The covenant that God made with Moses and Israel, it included a sacrifice, the sacrifice of bulls. But there was no mention of forgiveness with it. Now certainly, the sacrifice and the sprinkling of blood on the altar and on the people, it implied or conveyed a covering, an atonement, for sin, It was a sign of the forgiveness that they hoped would come. But God never explicitly said, the sacrifice of these bulls provides your forgiveness of sins. God never said that. 
In fact, in Hebrews, later we read, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The next chapter says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So, if the sacrifice connected to the covenant between God and Israel does not provide them the forgiveness of sins, then how is Israel going to be forgiven? Or, more importantly to you and me, how are we going to be forgiven? Well, it's very clearly not through the old covenant of Moses, but it's through the new covenant. We have a new covenant. Jesus made a new covenant between us and God. And the new covenant that Jesus provided is better than the old. In fact, the sacrifice of the new covenant is better than the sacrifice of the old. The old covenant was obtained by the sacrifice of bulls, which does not provide the forgiveness of sins. But the new covenant was obtained by the sacrifice of Jesus' own life on the cross. And His sacrifice did and does obtain for us the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to read the verses again that we read right before we partook of the Lord's Supper in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 26, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread blessed it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. Take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, Drink from it, all of you. But in the next verse, the next verse makes all the difference in the world. Jesus said, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many... Here's the missing piece from earlier. For the forgiveness of sins. What is left silent in the old covenant with Moses, Jesus says loud and clear. This is a new covenant. This covenant, unlike the old, provides the forgiveness of sins. In fact, this new covenant was predicted. In the Hebrew Scriptures, it was prophesied about in Jeremiah chapter 31. In that passage, we read, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this covenant will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, and here's the best part. 
God said, For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. It is the new covenant, the one that we participate in, the one that we, through the Lord's Supper, remember every time we partake of it, that Jesus provides the forgiveness of our sin. And God says to those of us who have a hard time forgetting our own failures, I remember your sin no more. It's gone. It's as far from me as the east is from the west. It's as if I've cast it into the depths of the ocean. It is completely gone. The inclusion of forgiveness and the covenant that God makes with us, that's what makes all the difference in the world for your life. Because how can you and I, sinners, be assured of God's favor? How can we know that God really loves us? How can we be assured of God's forgiveness for our sins? It's real simple. The death of Jesus on the cross provided for the forgiveness of sins. How do we know? Because Jesus said so. At some point... It's that simple. Either you believe what Jesus said or you don't. Jesus said that this death that he was just about to go through would provide the forgiveness of sins. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus not only paid your debt, But he was your sacrifice. A sacrifice unlike any previous to it. The sacrifice that provided you. The forgiveness of all of your sins. The ones that you committed. The one that you might commit even this very day. And any sin that you might commit in the future. Jesus provides forgiveness for it. Now. How should we, the people of God, respond? If nothing else, we should be grateful. We should say thank you, Lord, for forgiving me of my sins.